Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorka. Africa, Amka na Unai. Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on DSTV's audio bouquet channel 832 and on www.channelafrica.co.za. I'm Lulu Gabu, in studio with Anne Musa, Tabiso Luhoko and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, fresh fighting erupts in South Sudan, South Africa's Home Affairs Minister condemns attacks on cargo trucks and in economics news, a former South African Revenue Service Commissioner to cross-examine Public Enterprises Minister. In economics, in sports news rather, South Africa crowned champions of the Kasafa Under-17 Championships. So first up the news with Anne Musa. SABC News. Independent and impartial from an African perspective. Aman Musa, good morning. The leader of the Tigrayan People's Liberation Front in Ethiopia says his forces will not surrender to the government of Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed. This as federal forces hunt for TPLF commanders after taking full control of the Tigrayan capital, Mikele, following more than three weeks of unrest. The U.S. Embassy in Eritrea, meanwhile, has announced that six explosions were heard in the capital, Asmara. Although it's not yet clear if they are linked to the conflict in near a neighbor Tigray. Tigrayan forces fighting Ethiopian soldiers previously fired rockets into Eritrea. The BBC's Catherine Bia Ruhunga has more. Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed has dismissed the Tigrayan leadership as a criminal clique and now with claims government forces control the region, his plans to change the local administration can begin. But Tigray's leaders who were voted into power just a few months ago say they will keep fighting for the people's right to self-determination. This raises the prospect of a guerrilla war. It's hard to independently verify information from the region as most communications have been cut off. The International Red Cross says that hospitals in the capital Mikele of Ethiopia's Tigray region are running low on supplies to care for the wounded. This comes a day after the government announced an end to military operations. A referral hospital in the city is lacking body bags for the dead and is running low on basic supplies such as gloves. The government has not said if there were any casualties during its bid to take control of the city. Claims from all sides are difficult to verify since phone and internet links to Tigray have been shut down. The governor of Borno State in Nigeria has appealed to local young men to become vigilantes to help fight insurgency in the region. This follows the killing of 43 farmers near the city of Maiduguri by suspected IS militants. The BBC's Chris Walker reports. It is believed that um, local people as vigilantes would know uh, the nooks and crannies of the state and would be able to identify hotspot areas and be able to point out likely areas where insurgents could be hiding. Um, But whether the government is going to accede to this kind of suggestion is uh, um, anybody's guess at the moment. And meanwhile, that suggestion is also raising concerns about a loss of confidence on the army. 
U.S. infectious disease expert Anthony Fauci has warned that the country could see surge upon surge of coronavirus cases in the coming weeks. Millions of people are returning home following the Thanksgiving holidays. Speaking on Sunday, he said it was not too late for those yet to travel to help curb the virus by wearing masks and socially distancing. The U.S. has recorded more than 13 million coronavirus cases and more than 266,000 people have died. As of Sunday, the number of COVID-19 cases recorded in November have surpassed 4 million, double the figure recorded in October. The highest administrative court in France has ordered the government to review a 30-person limit on all religious gatherings. President Emmanuel Macron announced the measure in an easing of coronavirus lockdown restrictions. The BBC's Emmanuel Howley reports. The State Council has given the French government three days to reconsider the 30-person limit and put alternative measures in place to curb the spread of the coronavirus. Roman Catholic groups had reacted angrily to President Macron's decision saying allowing such a small number of worshippers was disrespectful to their religious practice. The limit applies to all religious venues, regardless of size. More than 50,000 people have died with COVID-19 in France. And that's the news headlines at 7.30 Central African time. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. In each and every one of us, there, there is a purpose and grace. We were all meant to shine. It is up to an individual to, to realize, realize that purpose. Don't ever let somebody tell you you can't do something. Join me, Amanda Machaka, on Life by Design, where I will be talking to people who share their journey on how they discovered their purpose with the hope to inspire you to, to live your life, life by, by design. design. Tune in to Life by Design for your dose, dose of Monday, Monday motivation, motivation every Monday at 8 a.m. Central African time and at 2 a.m. the following day. Life, life by, by design, design, be the architect of your life. life. Only on Channel Africa, the African, the African Perspective. Fresh fighting has erupted in South Sudan between armed forces loyal to Vice President Rick Macha and troops supporting President Salva Kiir. Channel Africa's James Shimangula has more. The fresh fighting is taking place in Central Equatoria region, southwest of South Sudan's capital, Juba. According to General William Gatijath Deng, spokesman for South Sudan's Vice President Riek Machar, fighting erupted when soldiers belonging to Sudan People's Liberation Army in opposition, in short SPLAIO, were attacked by soldiers of President Salva Kiir's Sudan People's Defense Forces. Speaking from an undisclosed location near Juba, General Deng said, The Aspili Iowa forces come under heavy attacks by the other SPDF forces. The Aspili Iowa forces responded more professionally and excessively stormed the regime forces. The falsets scattered around the bushes. They don't want Aspili Iowa forces around Juba. The old Aspili Iowa forces under Victoria Machal are in their defensive positions. Responding to remarks on the fighting that is taking place in Equatoria region, southwest of South Sudan's capital, Yuba, is President Salva Kiri's spokesman, Wek Ateng Wek. 
According to work, no fighting is taking place in the region, as alleged by Riek Machar spokesman General William Gatijath Deng. So that guy is paranoid. He's not talking about the truth. There's nothing of that kind. He's making up all these things. Why should he make such a claim? He will be the one to explain why he has made such claims. We are not substantiated. There's no report of fighting. And the Machar is part of the government of national unity. How can a person who is uh, implementing peace agreement be referring to the government of national unity as a rogue regime? The peace agreement has not been fully implemented. Could it be the reason why those people on the Riek Machar side are making such allegations? What are remaining to be done are only technical parts which are uh, about to take place. And uh, this is the formation of government of uh, states, the state government. And the Torian Machar refused to change the name of his nominee for Upper Nile State gubernatorial position. So in other words, what it means is that Riek Machar is still a warlord and not a part of the government now in Cuba. Gubernatorial is a part of government. It is a spokesperson that is referring to the government as a rogue regime. Do you think that uh, the ongoing claims and counterclaims and uh, the very person talking about rogue government affair may affect the new government continuation to bring peace to the people of Sudan? No, no, no. It cannot affect the government. It's smooth running, no. The smooth running of the government, it cannot affect it. But such individuals who refer to the government as rogue can be brought to account by their causes. Uh, so this can be accounted for by his boss, who is the Soviet Union. Lastly, looking at this situation right now, do you think there may be a full-scale fighting between uh, Machar forces and government forces? No, they cannot go to full-scale war, because both leaders are committed to peace agreements, and I cannot say there will be full-scale war again. That was Weka Ten Wek. Spokesman for South Sudan, President Salva Kiir. The fighting that is taking place in South Sudan comes nine months after the country established a government of national unity. The government is led by President Salva Kiir and his deputy, Riek Machar. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is James Shimanyula. South Africa's Home Affairs Minister, Dr. Aaron Mutsualedi, says the attacks on cargo trucks allegedly driven by foreign nationals in some parts of the country is economic sabotage and must stop. Speaking alongside his Zimbabwe counterpart, Kazembe Kazembe, at the Baitbridge border post outside Musina in the Limpopo province, Mutsualedi says truck owners must also take responsibility. Ruzani Chibasa reports. Unlike in the previous three months, when the border was experiencing traffic congestion of trucks, which had formed a 10-kilometer queue on the N1, it was a different scenario. The border was quiet and the traffic flow was normal. The two ministers first had a closed meeting at the offices of the Municipal Local Municipality. They then proceeded to the border where they addressed the media. Minister Mutoledi described attacks on trucks mostly allegedly driven by foreign nationals as an economic sabotage to the state. We, we actually regard this as economic sabotage. That the fact that I'm angry, I'm going to, to fight. And, and we, and I must state, much as the criminality is not acceptable, the truck drivers must also take responsibility because some of the issues that the people mention, which truck, and not truck drivers, the truck owners, the trucking companies, must also take responsibility because it's their businesses, this one. 
So it cannot only be the state that cares about their businesses. They must also come to the party. And that's why we'll be meeting them and pressurizing them that they must also play their role. Because there are certain things that have been pointed, which they are doing, which might be aggravating this, much as we don't accept it. Zimbabwe's Home Affairs Minister Kazembe Kazembe says his government is also doing something while monitoring the situation in South Africa. Uh, with regards to attacks on trucks or truck drivers in South Africa, I would defend that to my colleague, but even on our side, we're also going to up the game in terms of ensuring that we prevent uh, such things to, you know, from happening. We'll up the game in the sense of increasing roadblocks, patrols, and all the rest of it. Kazembe is also worried about acts of illegal border jumpers by undocumented people between the two countries. He, however, urged the people who will be traveling to Zimbabwe during Christmas holidays to prepare their documents in time as they will be required to produce a COVID-19 negative result taken less than 48 hours. I kindly urge our citizens to plan their trips. If you know you want to travel in a couple of weeks' time, just try and be tested within the time frame that is prescribed so that you don't have challenges at the border. As for the illegal crossing, that has always been there. And obviously, our my ministry and his ministry, uh, we will try and do our utmost to ensure that we care or minimize. But after having said that, what we encourage our people to do, let's plan. This pandemic is real and it's there. And we need to save lives. So we are simply saying, get tested prior to your traveling. Meanwhile, Minister Mutoledi warned that strict actions will be implemented across all parts of interest in the country to control the movement of people. We are going to up our communication from the beginning of December for people to know that the fact that the borders are now open does not mean that it's free for all. It's a new normal and we are going to be strict. We are going to be giving them information all the time that don't come to the border believing you are going to take chances. We are going to be very strict. I'm sure you have seen in the past uh, few days there's been joint operations between the army, the police. It's not in the interest of both countries for people to cross the border illegally. Whereas we will also discuss the issue of fake TVKs. Additional immigration and custom officers will be added at several borders countrywide to assist these Christmas holidays. Ruzan Chibase at the Bight Bridge border post between South Africa and Zimbabwe. Follow Channel Africa on these social media platforms on Facebook, Channel Africa One, on Twitter, at Channel Africa One, and YouTube on Channel Africa Radio. Our website, www.channelafrica.co.za. Channel Africa, from an African perspective. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai.
It's 7.14 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Even though many countries committed to tackling climate change under the 2015 Paris Agreement, there hasn't been any major impact. This is according to Bert Rodriguez, CEO of Biodex Biological Chemical Technologies Company in South Africa. As a reminder to some of the pressing problems that still exist, even as we battle with the global COVID-19 pandemic. Bert recently had a chat with Channel Africa's Jane Rabutata reflecting on flood-prone countries like Sudan and Mozambique, the challenge of water scarcity and pollution all linked to climate change. So, uh, you know, of course, the biggest challenges with uh, Sudan and Mozambique, um, those are two countries that we can look at with a major impact of uh, the global climate change that they're experiencing is that it's causing mass human migrations because the destruction of these people's environment, it's not going to be a once-off. In Mozambique, as an example, over the last 100 years, so from 1900 to 2000, I think Mozambique had experienced two tropical storms, the real ones. I can't remember the categories. And all of a sudden, in the new millennium, uh, in 2002, there were the Shai Shai Plain floods, which displaced thousands, thousands of people, destroyed massive farmlands, destroyed massive grazing lands. And then it happened again in 2005 in a more upper northern region of Mozambique. And they had a serious hurricane again. So in the last 100 years, they had, I believe, two to three hurricanes. And in the last 20 years, I think they've had seven major massive floods and storms. So what is a challenge to a country like Mozambique and Sudan is that the people are displaced. They are poor nations. It is difficult then to start taking people out of their regions and accommodate them in other regions which are not really in a position to absorb any further uh, human capacity. So that's the impact and the danger principally around uh, Sudan and Mozambique. From what you're explaining, you also highlight the fact that what happens in these countries will actually have global impact to touch on how people will be forced to move around. So what sort of global cooperation is needed to address these challenges around climate change? So we're in a difficult position, Jane, as a globe. Um, we, energy is our principal driver for, for, for our lives, I suppose, uh, for our technology lives and for our comfortable lives. So once energy becomes the principal player in our lives, we must manufacture energy. Our manufacturing processes for energy are not very environment friendly. Now, of course, when these technologies were developed 70 years ago and 80 years ago, we didn't have the problem. So the guys that made these technologies didn't see uh, 70 years down the line, they would have polluted the planet. So what needs to be done now as far as technology goes, a lot of technologies have been developed that can assist. The market will just come back at you and say, too expensive and we can't look at it. So budget trumps environment. And that is a general problem we've had. What has happened now, more recently, that we've had COVID and a lot of people have sat at home and have had an opportunity to observe the environment for a little bit longer. The reality is that it is happening. So it is not about doing what we were doing 30 years ago and 40 years ago, which we're doing 20 years ago than we were doing 10 years ago. So world leaders now need to sit down 
and scientists and academics, and they need to say, we've got an amount of data we've been collecting since the 40s on climate change. That data is informing us that the weather patterns are not the same, and they are continuing to shift regularly. What does that look like going forward, and how can we start making plans to safeguard our water and prepare people to leave areas that are not going to be viable? That, I believe, is what needs to happen. Bert, thank you so much for your time and for giving me very detailed responses. Do you have any parting shots, maybe even to ordinary people? Because surely we all have a role to play. Even as ordinary citizens, there's something that we could be doing, maybe a change in behavior. Uh, I would say that the change in behavior is critical and it's everybody's job. Um, I would say do not stand by and see pollution happen because it's too expensive. Hold yourself accountable um, to accept that environment cleanup, especially water effluent cleanup, is something that must be done. And once we start doing that uh, as individuals and expecting, because individuals work as the leaders, individuals are the managers, individuals are the CFOs, the accountants. So these, as an individual in your big corporation, you have to stop paying money versus the environment. You have to account it as a new part of your economy going forward. You have to create jobs in it, and you have to take it as a new sector economy going forward. And uh, that was uh, Bert Rodriguez, CEO of Biodex Biological Chemical Technologies Company in South Africa, speaking to Jane Rabutata. It's 7.20 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. International speaker, thought uh, thought leader and author Dr. Alex Granger has announced an initiative that seeks to impact young Africans through dialogue, development and influence. While Dr. Granger has spent most of his life impacting the hearts and minds of people across the globe, his passion is to help create a better future for Africa. His initiative, Rise Africa Rise, plans to host monthly webinars and events that will address the various challenges that are faced by Africans, which include poverty, extortion, corruption. Dr. Granger now joins us on the line to tell us more about his passion for society's development. Dr. Granger, good morning and thank you for joining us on Africa Rise and Shine. Good good morning to you and, and good morning to your listeners. Thank you so much. Now, firstly, what inspired the development of the Rise Africa Rise initiative? So the, the initiative is actually uh, Rise Africans Rise, so specifically focusing on, on the people. And um, as a global speaker myself, traveling across the length and breadth of Africa, And having done quite a lot of work specifically in the corporate space, everywhere I go, I see the need for improved infrastructure, people development, a translation of education into economic activity and development. And so this platform, which I call a shiftment because it is a shift in the way we think, I believe this will be the catalyst for conversations and dialogue and ultimately developing the minds and hearts of young people. So it was based and premised on what I saw and experienced myself as I traveled on the continent. 
Now, let's reflect on some of the pressing social ills that uh, the initiative will be focusing on. And what's your priorities among the multiple challenges that uh, the Africans basically face as a continent in its entirety? Absolutely. Well, you know, Lulu, there are so many issues on our continent and, you know, it'll be really uh, naive of me to try and tackle all of them. But in my own way, um, I've decided that I will align myself with the African Union Agenda 2063, but specifically looking at three of those seven aspirations. And the aspirations I'm focusing on are a prosperous Africa. That's the first one. The first aspiration is um, strong cultural identity, values, and ethics. And the sixth uh, aspiration in those seven is uh, development is people-driven. And so to this end, um, I've designed what is called the Rise Africans Rise Black Print, which essentially has seven key focus areas. And those areas that we're going to be focusing on are, one, preserve African identity, two, innovation and creativity, three, capacity building and empowerment, four, a new African way of thinking, five, interconnectedness and shared values, six, equal economic opportunity, and seven, responsibility and accountability. And I believe this is going to cover a lot of the issues where you asked in the first question around extortion, governance, you know, uh, poverty alleviation, freedom. Um, and, and, and so that's, that's it. Now, how exactly will the initiative translate into practical change, um, especially looking at uh, young people whose one of the biggest challenges that young people face basically is unemployment? Yeah, that's a very good question. And, and I think the challenge right now when we are faced with the pandemic, it's already exacerbated. So. As you've already mentioned, our key focus is young people. And, and at Rise Africans Rise, we believe that everything starts with some, sort of, some, some form of dialogue, some form of conversation, two-way. <clears throat> and so what we've decided we're going to do is host from January um, a monthly virtual events uh, with key speakers sharing on their expertise on these seven pillar black prints. And so we are hoping to have speakers such as uh, the likes of Tebe Kalafein, Busi Tembukwaya, uh, Professor Lumumba, Dr. Egbe from Nigeria, Ms. Michelle, who I've done work with, and other luminaries. So to answer your question, we believe that we can couple this with networking, have conversations, and our mid-term goal is to partner with educational institutions specifically to focus on entrepreneurship, leadership, and personal development. Those are the three key areas, entrepreneurship, leadership, and personal development. And then after that, we want to source corporate sponsors to help fund some of our students through these development studies and future workplace opportunities. And then the last leg is in the process, we will then create an alumni that will serve as coaches and mentors as part of giving back to young people. So the very same people who have gone through this development process will then act as coaches and mentors to the upcoming young people. And I think this is going to make it really practical. It sounds all very exciting. And now, Dr. Granger, how exactly can young people get involved, you know, in terms of your platforms, in social media? How do they gain access? Absolutely. So, you know, for now, they can connect on all our social media platforms. So we're on Instagram and Twitter. They can just search for Rise Africans Rise. Um, or they can visit our website, riseafricansrise.org, and they can see all our social media handles. 
And what we will be doing is we will use social media primarily to announce our upcoming events. And these will either be done via Zoom or via social media platforms such as live Instagram or live uh, Facebook when we eventually open an account there. But this is the way they can connect with us. Now, Dr. Granger, something that's very key, um, especially during these difficult times with the COVID pandemic and the exacerbation of uh, young people, the youth unemployment, um, you know, what is the expectation from the youth themselves with regards to what they need to bring to the table um, you know, uh, apart from their mindset, uh, you know, them being in the right frame of mind and being hungry enough to want to develop and be a part of this campaign? Lulu, you know, that's a very, very fundamental question because as you can imagine, lockdown has created millions of motivational speakers who, you know, suddenly people have become motivational speakers and trainers. I've been in this world for 18 years now traveling across this continent. And the one thing that we at Rise Africans Rise are calling for in terms of a call to action is commitment. It's that simple. We are calling for commitment. So we're looking for young minds who are seeking to seriously transform Africa. We want an Africa that will thrive, that will be free of poverty, that will be free from Western aid. And so our first call to action is simply commitment. Get involved. If you believe that where you live is not the kind of life you want your children to live in, get involved and commit. And so we're using this platform, this shiftment, as a catalyst for people firstly to commit and get involved and then see what they can do. So we want to create a culture of learning and development and impact and contribution. And how do we deal with uh, the young people that kind of fall through the cracks, that feel so overwhelmed by their circumstances and situations where they just don't see a way out? Well, this is, this is exactly what this is about, because a lot of young people are struggling with the challenges of life. What happens as old people when we go through trauma, for example? We go and we seek professional help or we go and see a therapist or psychologist this becomes that platform because we open this dialogue where people can then share their frustrations and share their challenges and difficulties. But you hardly find people overcoming those challenges unless they have an escape, and that escape could be conversation. And this is what this platform does. It creates an avenue, a platform where people can share their concerns, their ideas, you know, their creativity, their own innovation, and, and then led by gurus such as your Pusiti and the Guayas or Miss Michelle's, they can then begin to see the bigger picture instead of getting caught up by just their immediate surrounding. Well, Dr. Granger, thank you so much for the work that you're doing. And, uh, you know, young people must uh, come out there and seek you out on all the social media platforms. That's a Rise Africans Rise initiative. Dr. Granger, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you very much. And to all the listeners, thank you. And God bless. Thank you. Now, that's Dr. Alex Granger, who is considered one of the top leadership, personal mastery and high performance speakers in Africa, joining us on the line. It is 7.30 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. Africa Rise and Shine. Africa Zorza. Africa Amuka Na Unai.
Our headlines up next with Anne Musa. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Good morning, I'm Anne Musan. The headlines, villages in Nigeria's Bono state have buried 43 farmers killed in an attack by suspected militants, while security forces continue to search for dozens still missing. The leader of the Tigrayan People's Liberation Front in Ethiopia says his forces will not surrender to the government of Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed. And in his first interview since losing the U.S. election, President Donald Trump has accused the FBI and U.S. Department of Justice of working against him in his efforts to overturn the presidential election. Those are the stories making headlines. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on internet and satellite. From an African perspective, Guess what? You can now listen to Channel Africa using Silozi, Chinyanja, Kiswahili, Portuguese, French and English, giving you an African perspective. Hi, my name is Tandalunya Nzovu and you are listening to Channel Africa. We are Channel Africa from an African perspective. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Thank you, and it is 7.32 Central African time, and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. The COVID-19 pandemic has been disrupting food systems, leading to poorer food choices and compromising food security for many South African families. Mapping disruption and resilience mechanisms in food systems has become key to the continued efforts to address and meet the needs of the missing middle of the pandemic. To discuss why South Africa needs to relook at its national nutritional status, we are now joined on the line by Sandy Bukula, acting CEO at Operation Hunger, a non-profit organization. Sandy, good morning and thank you for joining us on Africa Rise and Shine. Good morning, Lulu, and thank you for having me. Now, a lot has been said about how the pandemic has compromised um, food security in the country. How big is uh, the problem, from your understanding? Um, Lulu, um, basically, good nutrition is an essential defensive strategy to protect populations against epidemics. And we cannot, obviously, um, deny that this basically releases you know, the burden on health systems while delivering a universal health coverage. And what we've seen happen during the COVID-19 is that we have basically seen that um, the COVID-19 has exposed, you know, the uh, the dysfunctionalities between health systems as well as food systems. And that basically has put a lot of burden, you know, um, to basically to, um, to, uh, to it's put a limit, sorry, um, to food distribution. Now, what's your assessment in terms of efforts to address challenges around food um, accessibility in in the country now during this difficult period? No, no, I didn't. I didn't hear that. Sorry. I was just trying to find out from you, uh, Sandy, in terms of your assessment. Um, you know, efforts to address uh, challenges around food accessibility, because now um, it seems like you know whatever anyone gets, this is what they becomes their food intake if they don't have access to food. 
you know, what your in your assessment in terms of the efforts to address the challenges around food accessibility in South Africa during this difficult period, what uh, has been the the main focus? Um, we have seen government um, looking at uh, food reliefs, which are basically immediate aid. However, that hasn't been a very much, you know, um, accessible to everybody. Um, as you understand, you know, during this period in South Africa and in, in South Africa, um, within the last quarter, we have received the figures that, you know, about 30.6 um, people which had jobs are currently unemployed. So you can only imagine the missing results don't actually even know, you know, how to access, you know, immediate aid as well. So I think basically what has been, it's been only just one stream focus on focusing on immediate aid and immediate aid, which is considerably um, being, you know, um, you know, assisting. However, I think a bigger effort needs to be done in terms of integrated, um, you know, implementation strategies that look at sustainability rather than just only, um, you know, rather than just only food, um, food aid. Now, Sandy, what do you think there has there hasn't been um, an adequate response to South Africa's nutrition challenges? Well. You know, the government and other food systems actors generally favor intervention focus on individual level efforts. While the direct, um, the direct action plan, you know, it is important also to consider that the underlying unequal distribution of, of factors that support the opportunity to eat a healthy diet are unnecessarily available and accessible to everyone. I mean, if you're looking at our, our, our geographical scope, you know, we cannot only just focus only on the consumer that is able to access the food and, and have food availability, but we need to look at we need to start looking at the vulnerable societies, people that are actually you know geographically, demographically that unable to access you know um, you know a proper healthy diet, you know cheaper as well because price has always been such a um, you know like a, a sector as well. <coughs> Who do you think, uh, or rather, why do you think there has, in terms of what we're looking at and what we're facing, are we facing our reality, or is it a case of, uh, you know, everyone sort of just going with the flow? Um, It is a case of, one, everybody going with the flow. I think there has been quite a a very little, um, you know, focus. And basically, by um, you know, by government players as well as you know other food, other food, other food systems um, actors, basically in looking at integrated measures to ensure an equal distribution of opportunities within the food systems per se. So we've had quite a, a very minimal approach and look at that. And I think you know by optimizing policy frameworks to support healthier diets for all at the country. And at the country and the community level and across sectors from production to consumption could also be, you know, one of those um, solutions that we need to start looking at now. And predominantly, you know, we look at, you know, immediate, um, you know, immediate um, sectors and immediate value systems. And then we start looking at the the long term and, you know, sustainable approaches. (coughs) Do you see the situation getting better for South Africa anytime soon? Um, absolutely not, because, you know, the global um, nutrition report for this year has actually um, said that South Africa was only rich about two, um, you know, two targets um, successfully within 2025, and that is two out of turn 
um, our nutrition targets within 2025. So that obviously looks like a gloom, you know, it, it's actually a gloom um, because, you know, even though we not only focus on, you know, like the direct causes of our nutrition, but, you know, it's always those those overlapping indicators and those factors, you know, to malnutrition that actually need to be looked at. And of course, the causes thereof, you know, um, involve, you know, social um, social structures, economical structures, you know, infrastructure as well, which is one of the biggest issues that basically South Africa needs to start refocusing on. So I think basically at the moment we kind of like, um, you know, we have opportunities though, you know, to change it. And I think that's basically what we need to be looking at because I think this COVID-19, um, you know, indication of where we are as a country in terms of getting, <coughs> in terms of getting um, on par with other countries when, as far as poverty, malnutrition, and actually food distribution is concerned, you know, it has actually given us an opportunity to start looking at our policies, our framework, and optimize, and actually come with a generic plan that is going to look, and that is going to customize and look at South Africa, the science basically, you know, uh, maximizing our current resources, our current structures locally to ensure that people are actually supported. Sandy, always a pleasure chatting to you. Thank you very much, Lulu. I'm so glad to have chatted to you today. That's uh, Sandy Bukula, Interim Chief Executive Officer at Operation Hunger, an organization that looks after food security in South Africa. It is 7.40 Central African time, and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. Follow Channel Africa on these social media platforms, on Facebook, Channel Africa One, on Twitter, at Channel Africa One, and YouTube on Channel Africa Radio. Our website, www.channelafrica.co.za. Channel Africa, from an African perspective. The South African small to medium business sector remains hopeful that this Black Friday and the upcoming festive season trading will give them the desperately needed boost to financially recover from the national lockdown that wreaked havoc on the market. According to Trevor Gosling, co-founder and CEO of online SME lender Lulaland, part of SME readiness for the peak season trading is a business ability to adapt to the changing buying behaviors of consumers. Tom Stewart Chief Marketing Officer for Lullaland elaborates. The pandemic had, I guess, above all, one really significant impact on, on SMEs and it, it effectively dried up their income. Uh, obviously, the trading restrictions that were placed on many businesses meant they, they couldn't bring in the normal turnover. In fact, when we surveyed our customers in July, we saw that 95% had suffered at least a, a 50% drop in turnover. Uh, certain sectors, it was even worse. Retail, it was 90% of customers were saying it was more than 75% drop. Um, what a drop in turnover or sales does for SMEs is it, it decimates their cash flow. These are businesses that don't have huge amounts of cash savings, so they rely on steady income. And again, 90% of our customers in July said they only had one month of cash runway left. So cash flow is key, not just to survival, mm-hmm. but also to SME's ability to grow. Um, so there was very little planning for growth as well and very little future thinking. Um, I mean, what, are, what we're now seeing, though, is a recovery in the sector, uh, increasing confidence and increasing business health. And the SMEs are looking for 
the, the peak season that's coming up now to, to regenerate their sales. Um, but, but critical to do that will be their ability to access cash funding and improve their own cash flow so that they can invest in the growth. So they can invest in things like marketing, buying inventory, or if you're mm-hmm. a retailer, obviously going digital, investing in those e-commerce capabilities. Mm. Now, let's talk about your predictions, um, uh, Tom, for this year's festive season trading period. Uh, what is that looking like and, and how can consumers themselves assist uh, the SME sector, um, who's obviously bore the brunt of, of the national lockdown in a very, very tough way? Yeah, so what, what we're seeing, obviously, for the season is um, the, the, the widely publicized shift to e-commerce is, is very much a reality. Um we're seeing um, an increase of uh, 20% of applications and loans that we're issuing to companies uh, in the e-commerce sector. So one of the most important trends will be that increase in online shopping. Um, We're also expecting to see, because many small businesses are hoping to attract as many new customers, cash-strapped customers as possible, um, they're going to extend their promotion periods. Uh, you're going to get a Black Friday month uh, versus Black Friday weeks of previous years. Mm, mm. And then, I mean, how can consumers uh, play a role in, in helping the local SME sectors? I mean, nothing helps a small business more than growing sales. So buy from, support mm, your, your mm. local small business, recommend them to your friends. Um, and, and that's what they need more than anything. And uh, what would your advice be, you know, to SMEs to help to help them uh, prepare for this uh, peak peak period, um, especially considering that, uh, um, you know, as you guys have rightfully noted, that uh, buying behaviours of consumers have indeed changed. And uh, um, so, what would your advice be to these SMEs? And are you also optimistic um, at all about about the future prospects of this sector moving forward? Yeah, advice would be number one. The world has changed over the last six months. So, mm. so it's customer behavior. Um, so be responsive and adapt to that. You know, if you're a retailer or in that consumer-facing services industry, it's about going digital. You have to build up that e-commerce or digital capabilities to, to service your customers remotely. Um, then if you're looking to recover over the Black Friday and, and following peak months, um, Make sure you're, you've got liquidity. Make sure you have a strong and healthy cash flow because that is what will allow you to invest in the growth opportunities that I talked about earlier, but also have that contingency if, if things don't go to plan. Um, so one way to do that is have access, fast access to affordable and flexible business funding. That was uh, Tom Stewart, Chief Marketing Officer for La, La Land, speaking to Zikona Misel. It's 7.45 and our economics update up next with Tabiso Luhoko. Thanks, Lulu, and good morning. Lesotho's Finance Minister Tabo Sofania presented his mid-term budget review indicating tough times ahead for the country as the economy continues to feel the effects of the coronavirus-induced slowdown on global business activity. 
Presenting the budget review in Parliament, Sophonia said that the COVID-19-induced decline in economic activities such as diamond mining and textiles production had resulted in lower-than-anticipated revenue collection, which would lead to a 14% decline in economic growth in the current fiscal year. He said the decline in revenue collections is expected to continue in the next fiscal year as the major revenue sources like the Southern African Customs Union continue on the recovery path. Botswana's property market has weakened this year, exacerbated by the disruptions caused by COVID-19, highlighting the fragility of the market and, in some instances, the sluggish economy that has subdued demand. Property investor Letole Larona disclosed in its latest annual report that the domestic real estate sector showed vulnerabilities this year with the usually resilient sector, experiencing contractions in margins, high vacancy rates and slow sales. Still, the industrial sector, which is largely underpinned by the manufacturing and logistics operations, proved more resilient than other real estate subsectors during the pandemic. The Communication Workers' Union of South Africa has given the SABC until noon to respond to their demands or face intensified strike action at the public broadcaster. The union wants an immediate end to the retrenchments of 400 permanent staff and the withdrawal of redundancy letters that have already been issued to some workers. They've also called for the board to be dissolved and for the SABC to be placed under administration. The SABC has suspended the retrenchment process until the end of December to allow for further engagements. And last Friday, the Labour Court reserved a judgment in trade union Bemau's urgent application against the planned retrenchments. The former South African Revenue Services Commissioner, Tom Moyani, is due to cross-examine Public Enterprises Minister Pravin Godan at the Commission of Inquiry into State Capture this morning. The focus of the questioning has not been revealed, but the inquiry gave Moyani permission to question Godan after he earlier testified that Moyani laid a criminal complaint against him to advance his own interests. Godon has attributed integrity and governance failures at SARS to Moyani, saying that he must be held accountable. 503 million US dollars worth of investment is heading to South Africa's Cape Town city. This was announced as a part of the recent Presidential Investment Summit. Mayoral Committee Member for Economic Opportunities and Asset Management James Foss says the investments include over 130 million US dollars from search engine Google. He says major international corporations know that they can access world-class infrastructure, sound governance and a skilled workforce in the mother city. Foss adds that despite the lockdown, their strategic business partners have created almost... 5,000 jobs between April and September. The US dollar is trading at 377.44 Nigerian Nara, 10.89 Botswana Pula, 108.72 Kenyan Shilling, and 20.97 Zambian Guacha. In BRICS currencies, Brazil, 1 US dollar costs, 5 rule 32 Russia. 
75 rubles 99 india 73 rupees 76 in china dollar is changing hands at 61.57 and in south africa it will cost you 15 rand 22 the us dollar is also trading at 75 pence to the british pound and 83 cents to euro looking at commodities Gold is trading at $1,769 and platinum at $958 per ounce, while Brent crude oil is at $47.75 a barrel. You are listening to Channel Africa. Our sports update up next with Figile Lingwati. Figile, what a dismal performance by the Proteas. Oh, yes. Uh, a lot of people are saying that the, the COVID-19 lockdown since March has, has, has created a lot of damage from, for them and, and uncertainty mm. at CSA as well. You know, players are going to play, not to play. The body is there. The body is not there as well. So that thing also works on the minds. Psychologically, yeah. I guess. It works yeah. on the minds of the players. So mm. hopefully they'll return. Uh, tomorrow they're playing the last game, even though England has won already. But the test is starting again in the weekend. All right, give us an update. First up in our sports update, it's football news. South Africa's under-17 men's national team, Amajimbos, the Kosafa Cup champions, are after a 4-2 win, penalty win over Zambia in the Kosafa under-17 final on Sunday afternoon at the Galvandale Stadium in the Eastern Cape Province. Amajimbos came into this encounter as the underdogs after a 1-0 defeat against Zambia in the round-robin group stages on the 26th of November. But not to be outdone for the second time, played better football and could have sealed the victory in the regulation time. The teams went into half-time break deadlock at one all. The second half saw both teams creating scoring opportunities, but no one could find the elusive winning goal forcing the match into the dreaded penalty shootout, which the host came out for two winners. Former Senegal and Fulham midfielder Papa Boba Duop has passed away at the age of 42. Diop made over 100 appearances in the Premier League during stints with Fulham, Portsmouth and West Ham United. The midfielder was also part of the Senegal team that reached the quarterfinals at the 2002 World Cup where he also scored a famous winner against France in the opening game. South Africa made a clean sweep of the three-match Spa Challenge Netball Test Series against Malawi on Sunday with a record-breaking 41-goal win in the third and the final test at the Sun City Super Bowl in the country's northwest province. South Africa won the match 69-28 to wrap up the series on a strong note, and the Proteas won the first match 65-25 last Thursday. They went on to win the second match 62-29 on Friday. The series was the first time both nations returned to court after a month of inactivity due to the global COVID-19 pandemic. Proteas head coach Dorette Berenhorst is happy with the series win. Yes, um, I'm happy. We set our goals and we were um, able to play a lot of combinations. We know what the, what will work for us, but also giving the players opportunity to play gives them confidence and you don't get always the opportunity to play them international level. So I think a great opportunity to play and give these players opportunity to get more confidence on court. 
South Africa will play a series against Uganda in early 2000, uh, 2021. Rather than that. Malawi coach also, Peace was of course disappointed with the outcome of this series. All I can say is that the, in, in, in the game, uh, the fitness level showed because as you can see, uh, we are starting well in the first quarter and going upwards into the second quarter, we are losing it. We are losing a lot of balls and the fitness level starts to show. That shows uh, a lot uh, about our players staying idle. I think going forward, as I'm saying, if we can have more of these games, uh, maybe meet after four months as well, that can give us a heads up and do what best we can do. Paul Sita and 2020 F1 world champion Louis Hamilton of Mercedes GP has won the 2020 Bahrain Grand Prix. The second was Max Verstappen of Red Bull Racing and to complete the podium was Alex Albon also of Red Bull Racing. Here is Louis Hamilton. It was such a shocking image to see and I respect the dangers that are in this sport. It could have been so much worse. Getting back in, they had a lot of speed today so I, I managed to just about keep reply to him when I needed to but I was sliding around a lot out there and I wasn't really quite sure how it would play out at the end but uh, I'm massively grateful thankful to to my team you know because they at the end of the day did the great job with the strategy and what a privilege it is to get another result like this that's the sport news this hour Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorna. Africa, Amuka na Unai. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producer Pumuto Ramagadza, technical producer Sviso Mashiko and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info.channelafrica.co.za or tweet us at Channel Africa 1. And taking us to the top of our folding news is Musa Manzini with the track title Blue Base. Have a great day and keep safe.